Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA, day number two of World Pork Expo here in Des Moines, Iowa, at the Iowa State Fairgrounds. Good day yesterday, and I think uh, probably a little bigger crowd already today as we watch people come in. I'm in the varied industries building, and the folks coming in to go in to see the exhibits and uh, enjoying the air conditioning here in this building. It is, it is hot. It's state fair weather. It is really hot. Uh, but a good crowd gathering for this second day of World Pork Expo, and we have a lot to talk about. We'll cover some of uh, the issues we talked about yesterday in more detail, Proposition 12, environment, uh, line speed at packing plants. We have a lot to go over on our program today. But we're going to start it off with the retiring, hard to believe that, retiring CEO of the National Pork Producers Council, Neil Dirks. Good to see you, my friend. Good morning, Mike. I appreciate being on. Well, um, Let's start, we'll, we'll talk about your career here in just a moment. Let's talk about World Pork Expo. You came into yesterday, and really, after two years off because of COVID last year and African swine fever the year before, uh, you really didn't know, did you? Uh, and then it, you were, I know you were happy to see a good crowd turn out yesterday. I was ecstatic to see the crowd we had yesterday because you just don't know. You know, you're going to throw a party. Is anybody going to show up? And uh, we were very pleased with the attendance yesterday. And, again, it shows that, that people want to talk to each other, see the latest technologies, and uh, we just couldn't be any, any, any happier. And as you said earlier, we expect a bigger crowd today because normally our Thursday is always the biggest day, and there's a lot of activities going on. Uh, you know, a couple of differences. Uh, you don't have the international visitors this year that you've had in the past, and you don't have the, the live uh the hog show, so that that takes out a portion of uh, past, uh, uh, you know, attendees. Uh, so you you account for that, but uh, even with that, you still have a lot of people going through the exhibits, and uh, people are, I think, just happy to be back at an in-person event. Yeah, I was talking to my assistant, who's manning the trade show office here, and she said people were coming in all day yesterday, just saying, "Thank you for doing this." It was almost like relief that we could go do something somewhere and that and that's good i was gonna say you're right uh internationally it's a world pork expo i think the last time i saw it we had 48 people registered normally that's well over a thousand often close to two thousand but because of covid travel restrictions Mm -hmm. people can't get into the country or they can't get back home and of course um the decision was made two years ago because of african swine fever that that not to have the live swine show from NSR and CP, uh, CS, CPS uh, participate because in the event you'd have an international guest bring ASF, we didn't want to spread it to the whole herd in the country. So that was a precautionary practice. But again, people are very positive and there's a lot of people here. And a lot of issues facing industry. I mean market price has been good but there are other challenges and issues and you have a lot of good information here and and people are coming in to get uh, the latest information get get yeah. updates yeah well there's a there's a hallway behind us that has uh, several rooms in it and each one that I looked in yesterday was packed full of seminars on you name the topics from technology to marketing to to animal health etc 
And so people take the opportunity to also do some self-improvement while they're here on whatever the latest issues are. I mentioned you are retiring. You have served in numerous capacities for this industry over the years. Uh, and I was talking with someone this morning about, you know, over the years how much agriculture in general has changed. But I, I don't think any segment of agriculture has probably gone through more changes big changes than the pork industry and uh, you've been uh, at the leadership helm f through a lot of those uh, how do you feel about as you're retiring now about the direction of the pork industry where it's headed well first of all you have to understand there have been a lot of changes but the one constant all that time are pork producers and and, and the resiliency of pork producers which is is like it to, it's not just pork producers it's all farmers you take mm -hmm. a look at the changes in agriculture during my career um, and again, you know, they often say, well, they're always eternal optimists. But the point is they have a can-do attitude. And that's what's important, and a lot of people miss that. Um, these folks are the people that feed America. And there's a lot of people in downtown, wherever you're at, that don't give a thought to where does their food come from. And the reality is it isn't without these people and farmers that supply grain and feed and, and, other, and other species that uh, our country has been a big hurt which we saw last year with the pandemic, suddenly people got an appreciation. You go to a store and suddenly the meat case doesn't have any meat in it. So one of the big changes is technology has brought changes to things. That'll evolve over time. There will continue to be technology in the future, but at the same time, the constant is people. And I've all often likened, people ask me about pork producers, and I said one of the things that's really intrigued me about working for pork producers, they're the kind of people that ask why not as opposed to asking why. And, um, and that's a very liberating uh, atmosphere to be in because it's all about continuous improvement. It's all about the next, how do we improve? How do we get better? How do we go in the future? So as I'm, as I'm leaving, this industry will do well in the future. Well, you've been a big part of it with your leadership over the years, and you're going to be missed. Uh, it'll be it'll be hard to replace you, and uh, we wish you the very best. Uh, it's hard to believe when we think back, you know, this is the 33rd year for World Pork Expo. Now we've had some, of course, the last two years misses because of the events, but, uh, you know, it's hard to believe. Uh, we've seen uh, so much happen over the years and, and uh, how this industry, as you said, has adapted and changed and gone with, uh, you know, uh, dealt with what's come at it. And I think last year was a prime example. I mean, to a worldwide pandemic like that and to see the way this industry uh, you know, responded to it. Right. And there were, you know, uh, it was apparent early on when we lost packing capacity, as I looked at it, is you just know that there are going to be inefficiencies that come up just because of having to react. That's true. But the flexibility and adaptability of producers and the, the whole pork chain got us through it. I uh, had some people concerned about what the future was, but it got us through it, which just goes to the resiliency of the, of the producer and of the system, and, and that's why I, I have total faith in, in producers. They'll, they'll be doing the right thing in the future. Wish you the best. I know you're going to stay busy. Sounds like going to do some, going to get to do a little more farming, not just on the weekends now, right? Yeah, not just on the weekends, which is starting to scare me because for 38 years there's been a whole bunch of projects. They said, oh, well, I'll do that when I retire, and now I'm starting to get scared of all the stuff <laughs> work ahead of me. But I'll be fine, and I'm uh, looking forward to it. Thanks for your kind words, and um, I wish everybody in the audience a good day. 
Wish you the best, my friend. Good to see you. Take care. Thanks, Mike. Neil Dirks, he is retiring, CEO of the National Pork Producers Council. Well, some of those issues he talked about the industry is dealing with, one of them is uh, Proposition 12 out in California, a uh, proposition that really would dictate to producers across the country what types of produ production practices they can use on their farming operations if they're going to sell into the state of California. That's being challenged legally. Uh, it's in the court system. We're going to get an update on that from the general counsel for the National Pork Producers Council. Michael Formica will be joining us next with that update. Stay with us. Day number two of World Pork Expo here at the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Step right up, that case upon this miraculous substance I hold in the palm of my hands. This little miracle can feed us, clothe us, give us clean, fresh water, and provide wildlife habitat for nature's critters. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the greatest Learn more about soil health principles that can turn your soil into a star performer. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her Mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Michael Langmeyer, Purdue Ag Economist. And despite strong commodity prices, we see this significant decline in the barometer. What's behind these numbers? I was a little surprised that the drop was as, bigger, as big as it was, but certainly there were several questions where we saw a drop in sediment. There's a couple things I think that were going on behind the scenes that are important to understand this drop. One of those is the last couple of months there's been a large divergence in the sediment for crop producers and livestock producers. And a full third of the survey uh, is of livestock producers and particularly uh, cow-calf producers, but the beef industry in general. And certainly the sediment is much lower for the livestock producers compared to the crop producers. And so I think that contributed to the drop in the index. But even though we don't ask the question directly, I think there's also some um, worries, at least, regarding inflation. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. 
Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back here at the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines, day number two of World Pork Expo. Want to get the latest on Proposition 12 passed in California that basically says if you're going to sell into that into that state, into that market, then you have to meet their production standards that they have set. And we've talked about how uh, this sets a dangerous precedent, not only for the pork industry, but for a lot of other segments of our economy as well. Michael Formica is with us, General Counsel for the National Pork Producers Council. Michael, thanks for joining us. Uh, what's the latest on Prop 12 and your challenge to it? Sure. So uh, so thanks for having me here. Can, can you hear me? Now, yeah. you, now, now you can hear me. Uh, so a lot, lot going on in, in, the, uh, in the California world. Um, where where should we start? So I, maybe the the most uh, important thing is we have been complaining for a long time that we've got no regulations to work with, and we don't quite know what we're going to be required to do. We've got a lawsuit going on. We're trying to kill this thing because we hate it. Uh, if customers really wanted this product, then the customer's right, and we would produce it. But this is in organic driven demand. This is a, a, you know, a vegan in Silicon Valley billionaire um, program. So the proposed rules have come out. There'll be a, a comment period that ends in mid-July. Uh, we still don't know that they're going to come out with final rules in time. But what they said in their proposed rules is, is rather fascinating. The state of California admitted that there was no scientific basis for their arbitrary standards. There's no technical basis for their arbitrary standards. There's no human health basis for their arbitrary standards. There's no food safety basis for their arbitrary standards. There's no employee safety basis for their arbitrary standards. But the only reason they're doing it is because Prop 12 was passed as a ballot initiative and otherwise they wouldn't do this. Then they said the only benefits they can see to Prop 12 are the knowledge of California voters that the state is implementing the ballot initiative and for non-consumers of these products, so the vegan activists, they will have the knowledge that non-vegans are paying more and having difficulty obtaining these products. Uh, and that's it. You know. So does that make you more confident that the, the, the eventual ruling will be in your favor on this in the courts? Well, so we, we, we sent a letter to the court because the, the status of the regulations and what the, what the draft regulations said certainly lend themselves favorably to, uh, to the legal theories we're pursuing. We sent this letter earlier this week to the court, said, you know, look, this just came out. We're just presenting it to you. Um, there's no changes from what we complained about in, in our lawsuit and we discussed in the arguments. Um, and in fact, California's come out and admitted much of what we were alleging. Uh, they went they went further, of course. They said, well, the the, the, the in in this evaluation, the court has to undertake. It's a it's a benefit of what are the costs versus what are the benefits. And as I just said, there's no benefits. What are the costs? Well, the costs are going to be uh, incredibly uh, destructive uh, economically to farmers. They only looked at California 
farmers, but those that destructive impact is going to be felt across the country. They also admitted that there's going to be reduced piglets litters and dramatically increased sow mortality. And so if you have greater sow mortality, how is that in the best welfare interest of, of those mothers? It sounds like it's making your argument for you. It sounds like it's making our argument for us. And so we're, uh, you know, I've been saying we've, we were feeling cautiously optimistic. We're, you know, we're, we're, seeing, we're seeing some line, trending lines finally come together here. So what is the timeline for this? Uh, we, we still think we would get, we will likely get a decision um, maybe mid-July. Uh, courts operate on their own on their own timeline. Nobody tells the judge when to do something. Uh, but I think looking at sort of their history, we I'd say mid-July. Um, so what are producers in California doing? Are they get, do they start making changes like it's going to go into place? Or are they waiting? Or what's happening? Well, there are no producers in California. So pork <laughs> so producers. Pork, there yeah. are no pork producers in right. California. There are... Um, I think there's 1,800 sows in the state. Um, there, you know, there now there are uh, there are a couple hundred thousand pigs that are finished in the state, um, but most of those are, you know, the the, the the vast majority of those are actually, um, you know, born outside the state, mm -hmm. and they're they move move them into the state to finish them there. Um, so there's not a whole lot of changes there, but it, it's you know it's the rest of the industry that's going to have to have to adjust. There's a lot of discussion here at World Pork Expo and throughout the industry as to how exactly what you know folks can comply with this, what kind of investment they're going to need to make. Um, it's a it's a significant financial investment to uh, to can to shut down an uh, an operating barn and convert it and restructure it, or to even build a you know, greenfield project. Um, you know, there are there are a couple of, of uh, new farms that have have gone in, um, but even they those those farms still have a lot of questions. They've built something that they think is Prop 12 compliant, but there's you know there's still a lot of difficulty, especially on the not so much on the group housing side. Going from 18 feet to 24 feet, we can handle. It's you know it's it's the actual post weaning. You know the care of that mother sow as she's trying to recover from the rigors of ch of, of, of birth and then of nursing. Um, she's trying to gain weight. She's trying to you know physically recover recover her body um, and relax. Right? That's that's what a mother wants to do. She wants to to relax and be comfortable. And that you know that's difficult to do when you've got the dominant sow is is coming around hunting you down to try and fight you. Um, also, uh, you know, how exactly are we going to manage, um, you know, breeding? You, you can, you know, these animals, large animals, come into heat. Um, how do you get them into a pen? You can only, you can only keep them confined for six hours um, in a day, and uh, that, that's going to, that's going to require a lot more labor. Uh, the labor just doesn't exist. So it's a huge issue precedent setting how it turns out because it, it certainly impacts producers across the country and if it can happen for pork producers it could happen if this is allowed to go through I mean it could happen with other parts of the uh, Cer economy certainly. right certainly you know it could have it could happen and they're, they're doing it to pork producers um, they've done it to veal so it could easily happen on the dairy side and I would expect it you know maybe dairy might be the next 
the next target, and it could certainly happen, you know, happen to cattle. Uh, and as we've seen even in Colorado and, and Oregon, other versions of these ballot initiatives. So, in, you know, in Colorado, they, they want to eliminate uh, artificial insemination, and they want to you know, prevent you from, from harvesting an animal, uh, you know, har harvesting cattle until they're five years old. You'd have, you know, pigs would have to be three and a half years old. I think, chick I think chickens would have to be three and a half years old as well. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm not eating three and a half year old chicken. Uh. So we'll see, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. Before we let you go, we're talking with Michael Formica, General Counsel for the National Pork Producers Council. Big news yesterday uh, as the Biden administration announces it plans to change the new Waters of the U.S. rule that we just got in place that the Trump administration uh, uh, got through. And now that's, uh, the Biden administration plans to make changes to it. What's your reaction to that? So we, we've been um, heavily involved in this fight going back a long, a long, long time. And I personally have been uh, dealing with this issue maybe, maybe 20 years now, almost, uh, almost my entire career, it seems. Um, and and we're actively been in litigation. So I don't think it was unexpected that they were going to do something. Um, you know, elections have consequences. Um, in the, in the un universe of what they could have done, um, this probably isn't as bad, so they're they're going to remand, so go back away from the Trump administration's navigable waters protection rule. Uh, we were afraid that they would try to go back to the rule that came out in the Obama administration, which uh, is universally low. And uh, luckily, they said, no, we're going to get rid of the Obama rule, too, and, and the courts have already taken that, and we're going to go back to the situation that existed you know, before 2015. So... To my mind, it's as if the last 10 years never happened. Um, but we're in a, you know what, we're in a stronger place. We, we know what we need to do. And so um, if, if Michael Regan and Joe Biden are, are truthful and they want to be reasonable, um, we'll have a reasonable conversation with them. If they want to follow the path that EPA did before, where you're talking about converting you know, land, physical land, not a waterway, not, you know, navigable needs mean something. But somebody's farm field to say that's water. Well, that's a that's a fight. You know, we're going to have to. It took four years to get this new rule in place. So we'll see how long the, this battle is. We'll, so. we'll we'll see. We can work with them, or uh, we know how to fight them too. Michael Formica, General Counsel for the National Pork Producers Council. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA from World Pork Expo. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, 
honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. Rain chances for the bulk of the Corn Belt are limited to the next seven days. Highs in the western plains will reach into the 90s. Parts of the Dakotas and West Texas will hit triple digits. Corn crop ratings remain high in the eastern Corn Belt, where subsoil moisture is in good shape and temperatures are more moderate. Ethanol production for the week ending June 4th was up 3.19% from the prior week and up 27.48% from the prior year. Stocks were up 1.90% from the prior week and down 8.45% from the prior year. Estimated corn use in production was 107.8 million bushels. On the Board of Trade, July corn trading 15 and a fraction higher at 706 and three quarters. The September contract up eight at 640 even. For soybeans, the July contract up five and a fraction at 1567 and three quarters. August up six and a half cent at 1529 and a half cent. For wheat, Chicago wheat July down a penny at 681 Kansas City wheat July up three cents at six thirty-eight and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat July up four and a half cent at seven sixty-eight and three quarters. The September contract up three and three quarters at seven seventy-three and a half cent. Live cattle futures traded in somewhat of a tight range yesterday, but were able to hold well and close higher in the closer months. However, trade was lackluster as market participants search for price direction. Hogs continue to remain well supported. Packers remain aggressive and continue to pay higher prices for supply. For lean hogs on the Board of Trade, the July contract up 40 cents at 121.90. The August contract up 40 at 119.17. Feeder cattle, August down $1.20 at 147.07. September down $1.02 at 149.72. For live cattle, June down 2 cents at 117.37. August up 27 at 118.55. The U.S. dollar index is trending lower. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Day number two of World Pork Expo at the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines. Another hot day here in Des Moines, but another good crowd turning out as World Pork Expo is back. Well, we talk often nowadays about uh, climate goals and environmental issues, and certainly uh, this administration is making a big push on uh, those 
areas and setting goals and there are a lot of questions about where is agriculture going to fit in um, in meeting those goals do you get credit for what's already being done and what's going to have to be done differently moving forward what are some of the opportunities and some of the challenges and we often mention that agriculture has a good story to tell. The pork industry in particular has a good story to tell along these lines. But we're going to try to give you a little more of an example of that and someone who's uh, very much involved in that. Uh, joining us now is Lori Stevemer from Minnesota, pork producer, a board member with the National Pork Producers Council. Lori, thank you for joining us. Uh, this is obviously, when it comes to environmental issues, something you take uh, very seriously on your farm, and you're quite involved in this, aren't you? Well, we are, and thank you, Mike, for having me here today. You know, we are on a farm that my husband's grandfather started, so I'm over 100 years old, and uh, very much want to continue it on to the future. So we're looking at some of the practices that we're doing, uh, both with the pigs and with the crops, cover crops, and uh, low-till, no-till, and just trying to analyze what we're doing and that impact on the environment. Dealing with environmental issues, not new to the pork industry, but certainly there are a lot of things going on right now to try to really um, address it even more and, and move forward with it. You're involved in an interesting pilot project. Tell us about that. Yeah, uh, this is a pilot project uh, that actually the National Pork Board is involved with where uh, gathering information from our farm in terms of our farming practices and uh, like you said, whether it's cover crops, low-till, no-till, and then just starting to look at that data. So, um, you know, how much of greenhouse gas are we putting out or how much are we saving by our our practices, uh, soil erosion, are we saving soil? And so, you know, we're just early into it, but it's it's really fun because we've been doing a lot of these practices for five or six years and, you know, had a feeling that, that they were doing good. We can see some stuff with the yields. We can see some soil fertility improvement, but now to really put those numbers there and more importantly, to be able to go to, uh, whether it's public officials or regulatory people or even the consumer and say, hey, you know, we've been telling you we're doing a good job for a number of years and now we can we can show it to you in a manner that, that you can understand. And that has been the challenge. It's one thing to say you're doing those things, but how do you quantify it? How do you prove it? And, and that's what you're, you're getting more involved in now, being able to actually have evidence of what you're doing right. Yeah, yeah, that's, that is the fun part of it, and it's uh, exciting to see that. And, you know, on the, the pig side, where we raise pigs, I'm, I'm also involved with the feed industry. I mean, we know that when we improve feed conversion, with those pigs get more efficient, uh, we use less corn and uh, the better utilize our resources. And so uh, to be able to quantify that also and, and help people understand that, that the pigs that we raise uh, the manure is organic fertilizer, so we have to buy then less commercial fertilizer. So it's all a cycle that, that we want to help that consumer understand. Uh, because I've had conversations with them and they're like, well, what do you do with the manure? They don't realize it's a valuable asset to us. And perhaps becoming even more valuable with the way things are going right now. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, if part of this uh, project allows us to look at what might savings there may be from, from using manure instead of our uh, commercial fertilizer. So, uh, because there has to be an uh, economic benefit for us as farmers too to do it long term. So, sustainability. I mean, to to Dale, my husband and I, is not just the practices that we do, but but is our farm going to be profitable and sustainable in the future? So, not sure if the second or the next generation wants to come in and farm, but we want to put them in a good position. So. 
We're talking with Minnesota pork producer Lori Stevemer, talking about environmental issues. Um, so right now we're hearing about potential revenue streams for farmers of, you know, for carbon and carbon sequestration. What do you think about that opportunity? Well, I, th I think it is a good opportunity. I think if it's voluntary um, and, and there's some incentives there, it's great. Um, I know on our farm we are considering a few of them because of some of the, the crop work we've been doing, uh, analysis. And it's we're early into it. I mean, there is some revenue that's available. There are, um, I don't want to say strings, but you know requirements that we have to fulfill, and some of them for a long term. So we have to look and see if that's right for us. But it, but it's nice to see that those opportunities are there, that they're trying to incentivize farmers for the practices that they're doing. How do you feel as a as a producer when you hear criticism of agriculture, actually blame put on agriculture for being one of the big contributors to greenhouse gas emissions when really the numbers show agriculture is a very small part of that. But uh, you hear that criticism and, and government officials say we've got to do something about it or environmental activists say something has to be done to address that. How do you react uh, to that? Well, you know, it's always frustrating. And I think, you know, you kind of shrug your head and, and mutter on your breath maybe a little bit uh, and then just want to be able to set the story straight and um, and, and it's it's a challenge uh, but I but opportunities like this are good allow us to do us I mean I'm in Minnesota where the land of 10,000 lakes or more um, you know we don't want people to have a bad impression of what we do as farmers and it's frustrating when it happens just want to be able to get that message out there that the things we're doing are positive and that there's opportunities um, to make it even better in the future too. As you said, this isn't something you've just started. I mean, this has been ongoing. I mean, for years this industry has dealt with questions and concerns over air quality and, and water issues. So, I mean, this has been ongoing and this is going to be a part of it with this big push it's on now. Does agriculture get any credit for what you are and have been doing? You know, we, we probably don't get enough credit because we haven't been part of those conversations to be able to sit at the table with the people that are making the decisions and saying, hey, wait, this is what we're doing. You know, you might have thought we weren't doing anything, but we are doing something. And oh, by the way, here's the here's the results of that. And it's positive. So um, so let's have that discussion. But but be aware that there are good things that are happening. And, and sometimes the things we do like cover crops, they don't materialize a benefit that first year. So you can't just do something and expect an immediate response. It might take a couple of years. So let's have some uh, some patience maybe, if that's the right word, but, but a process and, and I'll work together. Have you been approached by anyone to enter into some kind of a program for whether it's carbon or, or something else? Uh, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say we were necessarily approached, but we have s uh, checked out a few mm -hmm. of them. So. Mm -hmm. Um, with the agronomy company that we work with, um, Bill Gates has one. We've looked a little bit at that, you know, and, and once again, trying to evaluate the incentive that there is to us versus the uh, the procedures that we'd have to follow. So it's it's definitely on our mind. I mean, it just ha haven't necessarily found the right one yet. I think it's it. Looking at it, I think optimistically, I think for agriculture and for the livestock industry in particular, this could be taken from what's kind of perceived as a uh, challenge or maybe even a negative and turn it into a positive, mm -hmm. turn it into a real opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. And like I said, I've up at the state fair a couple years ago, um, you know, talking with people as they came and that individual came up to me rather sheepishly and said, well, 
what do you do with the manure? Like, and when I told them what we do and, and how it fits into our crop cycle and our pig cycle, they were just, they were like, I didn't realize that. They were like amazed and, and, and happy to know that it was a resource that was being used properly. And you know, it's one thing for someone to come in and say, you need to do this, make these changes, adopt these practices, but at the same time, you have to stay in business too, right? right. So how do you make those two work together? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, we we don't want regulations forced upon us. I think that's part of the education that we need to do with those people making that decision, uh, to get them that information. Um, nobody likes to be told what to do, but to be part of that conversation, to give them that information so that they can make a good decision, I think really is key. And that's that's on us then, whether it's at a state level or a national level, to, to visit with those key you know, public policy makers, um, you know, county commissioners even, you know, think of it as a local level. I mean, township boards, uh, zoning boards, county commissioners, everybody to, to just have them understand what we are doing, the benefits of that, so that they can make a good decision. So being part of the discussion, being at the table is critical, not just for the pork industry, but for all of agriculture, right? It is, it is. Um, and I think, you know, we often have the excuse that we're busy, and we all are. And it's um, it's just something we have to be disciplined about doing and, and make ourselves part of that discussion. Are you planning any more changes or uh, adopting some any new practices moving forward? Um, right now on the crop side, I mean, we've, we've used cover crops. We continue to evaluate the, the different kinds of cover crops, the rotation, um, you know, just always continuing to look at those. So no necessarily major changes because we've implemented some. I, I think what we want to do in the analytics part is take a closer look at the animal side of it too so we get more of a complete analysis of our farm. And what do you see maybe is the next step there? I think looking at um, things like maybe uh, water usage and electric usage, monitoring those on a little bit closer. I know a lot of farms are doing that already. Uh, you know, we need to, uh, we're not. So I think getting that, that total farm picture will probably be, uh, like I said, the next step for us. Well, there's a lot happening right now, and a lot has been going on, and it's that we probably haven't gotten that message out good enough, so we got to do that better, because right now we're seeing so much focus and emphasis on it. So, yes. uh, But you're one of the leaders in this, and we wish you the best, and we look forward to hearing how the pork industry is going to deal with this environmental sustainability issue. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Thank you. That is Lori Stevermer from Minnesota, pork producer, board member for the National Pork Producers Council. Those environmental sustainability issues are huge uh, for all of agriculture. Coming up next, the debate over line speeds at packing plants next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me 
Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash fieldposts. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Steve Meyer, economist for Partners for Production Agriculture, your thoughts on the impact of the recent court ruling striking down faster line speeds in, packing, in some packing plants, uh, Pork Producers Council coming out saying that could really hurt smaller producers. What are your thoughts on the impact of that decision? I think it's going to hurt kind of anybody. Um, uh, smaller producers might take the brunt of it. They usually take the brunt of any kind of disruption. Um, you know, number one is my thought is I'm horribly disappointed in USDA uh, that they wouldn't go and fight for something that's been proven to be okay and proven to be effective. 
As far as its impact, yes, uh, you know, it's going to slow these six plants down. It's going to take 2.7 to 3% of our slaughter capacity away, and that's not a big deal right at the moment. But it is going to put us in a bind come the fourth quarter. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. Day number two of World Pork Expo. Glad to have with us now Phil Borgic, Illinois pork producer. Phil and I have known each other for many, many years, more than we'll even admit to probably. I uh, want to talk about a number of issues. And Phil, you and I were just talking about, as we were waiting to come on the air, uh, talking about the situation the pork industry has been dealing with for a number of years on a number of different fronts. You, you're coming out of the pandemic now. The labor issue is big the supply chain issues, what's going on with restaurants and, and not being able to find people to work and how uh, that's going to make things take longer to kind of get things closer back to where they were as far as how where people are consuming food and purchasing food. And we've seen quite a shift during this past year, haven't we? And, and interesting how the pork industry has come through this. Industry as a, as a whole is uh, has came through very well. Uh, mm -hmm. We've actually increased demand. Uh, I think compared to the other two meats, and and by them, uh, by the consumer not being able to go to the restaurants, they went to the grocery store, and, and beef is expensive. Uh, they get tired of chicken, and so we've had a lot more new people pick up pork and start cooking it. So now we wait to see. Will the move go back to? Uh, restaurants again and how long that'll take and that's and that's uh the big question is how long it takes to open up uh we've had tremendous pull to restock those uh restaurants and that is reflected in the wholesale price of pork and, and the other products too but it's been a tremendous benefit uh for pork and and we'll just see how long it takes but uh what i'm getting now i thought it'd be done by fourth july and most people think it's gonna be uh q4 before it's even close well, another issue facing the industry right now is this court decision to slow down line speeds at packing plants. And we've been talking about how that uh, could have a very serious impact for pork producers, their bottom line, and, and you know, packing uh, capacity has been an issue for some time anyway, and this makes it even more so when you start slowing down uh, these, these line speeds. Give us an example for you as a pork producer, how this impacts you. So one of the uh, plants that we deliver to will be affected in just, what, three weeks. And, and so my, my contract uh, two years ago was based on them being able to uh, kill uh, at, at, a, at a lot faster line speed. So that made, you know, they needed my pigs to fill that last line speed. Well, with this court ruling, they, they're going to have to cut back or figure something else out, and they're going to lose 2,000 head a day. Well, they've got to, somebody's not going to be able to bring those 2,000 head. And, and we look at it from the producer side and the packer side, but it, the real effect is going to be on the consumer side. We don't have pork in the freezer, and if we can't get it processed and through the chain, you know, how are we going to restock those shelves or keep those shelves stocked? And as a producer, where do you go with those pigs? That's it. it, it and uh, this summer, not a problem. Uh, but we will increase our, our freight cost by $10 a pig. 
to be able to go somewhere else. And and in this fall, with reduced line speeds, you know, it's two and a half percent of the. Uh, we're gonna have a reduction of two and a half percent of of total kill capacity. We're gonna fill it back up again. And then so there's not need. There won't be a need for those extra pigs. And then so that that's gonna really drive the price for all pigs down. Uh, throughout the nation because it's always that last pig that drives the price either up or down is this a safety issue in packing plants it is it's not a safety issue uh the uh, the the plant that that i work with is uh, number two in their system uh they the studies that that uh, pork producers have looked at uh and that you know packers have provided it is not a safety these these plants are either at the top or right at the top as far as safety so, so that is so. It's a perception of that, and um, uh, definitely not a safety issue. So, you have to wait for the legal system to take its course, then, right? It does, and and that is, as we all know, is slow, and and but this uh, decision will will change pigs. You know, change the number of pigs that's harvested just three weeks from now. And so, if you know, there's still legal challenge out there. Can they get a court injunction to, you know? hold it off until you have know, a stay, further studies yeah, yeah. Get a stay. so as a producer how how do you plan around that then well again this summer we're okay uh because you know slaughter's down uh, enough or available pigs are going to be down enough it's not an issue i don't i don't as a producer i don't i'm not concerned about that i am very concerned about this fall and and what that will have on the overall pig price Again, this is the first time in three or four years that they had to go out and look for pigs. And look what prices have done, because they have to look for pigs. The, the, you know, and I don't want to compare this to the cattle industry, but they don't have to look for cattle and, and look at that spread. And so it's so important that, that you always want to be, from my side, you always want to be one pig short, because then they can go out and find it, and, and, and that helps hold prices up. At a time when, yeah, Hog prices are good, but your input costs are going up too, right? Well, that's it. You know, everybody talking about this uh, tremendous prices right today. But because if you had to go out and buy corn today and feed a hog and sell it in the December contract, uh, you're you're just a little bit above break even, and, and that's not that far away. And so that's what I'm looking at. What about the fourth quarter profitability with high priced corn and and bean meals really backed off, but high priced corn. It's been said this will really hurt, it'll hurt producers of all sizes, but especially smaller producers. Would you agree with that? Yes, uh, it will hurt anybody that's, that uh, doesn't have some access to the package. So, so uh, some ownership, or it, so it's going to affect us all uh, because, you know, they don't have the, the leverage or that maybe they can't provide uh, the delivery schedule to Packer once. once. And, and it's going to definitely hurt us all. So we wait for uh, the, uh, the court ruling on this, the court decision, as it's, uh, the legal process plays out. But there's certainly a lot at stake. Good to see you, Phil. All right. Thank you. Take care. Phil Borgic, Illinois pork producer. And that's a, this line speed issue is one of the big topics of discussion here at World Pork Expo. All right. That wraps it up for us here today. Now, I'll be back uh, home tomorrow. But... Uh, World Pork Expo continues its third and final day here at uh, the Iowa State Fairgrounds tomorrow. Coming up tomorrow, we'll be going over the WASDE numbers. We're going to be talking about in Endangered Species Act. We'll be talking about uh, these plans by the Biden administration to change the waters of the U.S. rule. We'll be talking meat exports. Got a lot to cover again tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA.
Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.